If there's a noisy neighborhood, street corner, or cafe, there's a good chance we'll be in the middle of it, having conversations with innovators and undoers. I'm David Cadet, and together with Mark Walvan, we're Undoing the Way Podcasts are done. Entrepreneurship is messy, so is our podcast. Uncut conversations in real places. This is Background Noise. Today, we'll hear from Crystal Phillips, whose vision went from Olympic glory to a world free from neurological disorder. You'll have to listen to hear her make that connection. She founded Branch Out Neurological Foundation in Calgary and recently became director of Thin Air Health, a part of Thin Air Labs, which we featured as the first episode of Background Noise. Before we go there, though, I caught up with my partner at Undoing, Marc Bonvin, after he had had a listen to the interview. On a chilly March morning, we sat in my truck on heated seats with soothing, brain-calming music as our background noise to break down the Crystal Phillips interview. Oh, it is intoxicating. Why are we playing calming, soothing music in advance of today's background noise? Well, it's because the world is full of chaos, Dave, and we need to find something calming and something to center us. And... Nothing is more centering than the sound of our voices and this music in the background. But seriously, though, I think we're focused on talking today um, about a competency that, you know, maybe doesn't get a lot of play or maybe it doesn't something that even gives us an opportunity to talk about it in class. But it's that competency of character. And I've found the first 10 minutes of this podcast just riveting, compelling, engaging the story that she has to tell. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Crystal, maybe, you know, how you guys got to know each other a little bit and sort of how you got to put together this podcast. Um, it's funny, her and I were trying to trace the origin of our meeting um, the last time we spoke, and it's one of those friend of a friend of a friend types of things. I wouldn't have been introduced to her had I not been sitting with a client almost a year ago to the day. Crystal strolls in to make a presentation on Branch Out, a neurological foundation, which she had founded about 10 years ago. And the client was wondering how um, they and her might collaborate. And I was so taken by her story that I decided to call her up because I thought she'd be great topic for this podcast. Needless to say, she was. Um, she basically runs away with the podcast. I have to say very little because the story and the storyteller tell itself. One of the things that you can sort of tell right away is this idea of perseverance and sort of how that ties into the development of character. And I was really taken by the the, the story she told about when she had to make a decision if she wanted to continue along the path of athletics or to you know start down the path of sort of what was her passion and to have that list that she was asked to write out and to go through that list and then say what sort of aligns with your values i think that is sort of really living your character and and sort of living out the values and you know i i thought it's really an interesting sort of thing for all of us to think about is if you look at all that what you do on a given day a given week what aligns with that and what doesn't and i i think that that is the the big takeaway for me is that you're 
your character is really driven by your actions and your actions should be reflective of your values so that's i think the the real competency aspect here so my gotcha question to you is do you think you're living your values and am i living my values i will i will say that i i hope to be living my values most of the time but i'm quite sure that there are times where i fall short how about you well the reason why i ask it partly is to give you a gotcha question to make you stumble but the second part of it is is to sort of preview what you know you and i are coming up with and i think that this podcast and the daily undoings and the blog posts and stuff all lead towards us down a path where you know we have no choice but to live our values so you know i listen to this i listen to somebody's story i get very motivated to really do the things that i really want to do versus complain about things as they are so this this gave me motivation this gave me drive this gave me inspiration and to live my values so you know i think that some of the stuff that we're about to get going is hopefully will be reflective of that too so stay tuned sounds like a bit of a teaser lofted by uh, partner in undoing mark bovet in the meantime crystal phillips we begin with the story of how she was compared to uh, a fabled monster let's start with quadzilla <laughs> I, I joke that I was better known as Quadzilla than Crystal back when I was younger because I was known to have very large leg muscles. And I naturally um, went into the sport of speed skating because it's very, um, it's very conducive to big leg muscles. <laughs> I was a figure skater, a tomboy before that. Um, fighting to put dresses and makeup on me um, was something that my parents gladly gave up when I showed an interest in speed skating. And with this genetic advantage of big legs, I was able to excel in the sport very quickly, represent Canada, um, win North American Canadian championships, got to travel around the world, um, represent Canada as a junior. And then as soon as I graduated from high school, I went to Calgary. I grew up just south of Edmonton, town of Beaumont. And Calgary is where the fastest ice in the world is. It's also where the National Training Center is. It's naturally where you go when you want to be a speed skater is like your dream. So um, moved when I was 16, um, was nominated, um, looked at as one of the hopefuls for the 2010 Olympics, um, got to get access to some of the top physios, chiros, um, sports psychologists. And I started my, my journey and my path towards the Olympics. And at the peak of my skating career, in a matter of three days, I lost feeling from my chest to my toes. I lost bladder control and developed double vision and literally went from one of the top skaters in Canada to not walking three days later. And my neurologists come in and they say, um, I'm sorry, but you have multiple sclerosis. And I didn't really know what that meant, and I've never heard of that before. And so then they told me what was the most terrifying thing I've ever heard, which was, and you'll probably never speed skate again. Um, now, thankfully, at the time, I was still a teenager, and I say thankfully because 
up until that point, I hadn't dealt with too much adversity. So not speed skating was so not a part of my reality that I genuinely didn't believe them when they told me, and you'll probably never speed skate again. So I went home with this new weird body that didn't work. And I was very determined to get back skating. So as soon as feelings started to get back into my legs, I was training to relearn how to walk and eventually relearn how to bike. And although I looked like a baby giraffe on ice, I was able to race my first competition about four months after I was able to walk. And I've never heard the the crowd cheer so loud in one of my races before because the, the community of speed skating is pretty small. And so when I was affected with MS, the whole community was affected and everyone was really proud and excited to see me back skating. Um, I, however, cried myself to sleep that night because my times were so sucky compared to before I I got sick. And I was this competitive teenager and I didn't want to be just okay at skating. I wanted to be one of the best. And so I wake up the next morning and it's as if a line was drawn straight down my body and the entire left side of my body stopped working. Literally overnight, I couldn't move my left arm, move my left leg, or even taste food on the left side of my mouth. And that's when it really hit me, okay, I'm not an invincible teenager. I really do have this disease. I have multiple sclerosis. It's real. Now I have to do absolutely everything I can to get better. So I went on the daily drug injection as recommended by my doctors. But in speed skating, as an elite athlete, I think this is probably relatable to many. Um, you, You build a team of expertise to achieve optimal performance. So it was no different of a mindset when it came to, okay, I need to get back to optimal health. And so I built a team of expertise. Um, I still utilize the the top Kairos physios and sports psychs that I had access to on the the national team. But I also um, took the the drug that was recommended to me by my doctors. But then I also started to look outside of the conventional system of what other teammates do I need to collect and experts do I need to collect and things I need to try in order to get back to a healthy state so I could skate again. And so I became a nutritionist, started studying herbal medicine and really was a guinea pig for all things quote unquote natural and unnatural um, healing. And long story short, over the course of five years, although I had lots of ups and downs with the disease, I was able to make my way back to a competitive level in skating. And in 2009, five years after my diagnosis, I qualified for the trials for the 2010 Olympics. And I went into the pre-Olympic summer training and overnight I lost vision in my left eye, which is a very common symptom of MS. And I get more tests done, and my neurologist said, I'm sorry, Crystal, but your disease, it's progressing. It's looking more like progressive MS, which is very similar to a slower version of ALS. And they said, you know, be prepared that your reality could be in a wheelchair in the next couple of years. And they recommended a much more aggressive drug treatment plan and started listing the many scary side effects associated with that drug. And to be honest, the, the side effects of that drug sounded worse than the disease that I had experienced. And so I didn't understand the benefit. So I thought, well, I'm never going to know whether it's this unconventional stuff that's helping me or if it's the drugs, if I'm taking both at the same time. And I look at the side effects of the drugs and they're terrible. I look at the side effects of the unconventional stuff and it's things like better sleep, more energy, a six pack. Um, This decision became very easy for me. And I decided that I was going to go off all of my drugs completely and treat my disease naturally. And 
um, I really focused on three categories. One is healthy thinking. So really, um, it's a daily practice of uh, a positive mindset, but also um, being able to shut off the negativity that um, threatens you, especially when you have uh, a, a disease and you, you had this gross picture painted of you in a wheelchair in two years. That's a lot of mental work to be able to overcome. So mental healthy thinking is a, a very valuable area. The other area is healthy eating. Um, I might be biased because I am a nutritionist, but I um, I see a lot of value in, in putting the right foods in your body to reduce inflammation and improve health and healing um, from within. And then third um, is healthy moving. So making sure that I'm adopting my exercise um, routines and um, the types of exercising I'm doing to cater to my body and to meet me where I'm at. So I worked with physiotherapists and, and coaches and trainers, and then also was just a guinea pig myself with what kind of exercise is the best for me. And so I, I took that approach and eight months later, I came just a few spots off the Canadian um, Olympic team, which was very exciting. And nine years later, over nine years later is now. And um, although you can't see me on this podcast, I am not in a wheelchair. In fact, I haven't had a single MS relapse in those nine years. And I've only had very minor symptoms that are very um, controllable. Um, I've been able to manage them through um, non-pharmaceutical mechanisms. So that's a, a long story from the, the topic of Quadzilla, and it brought me through this journey that highlighted a lot of gaps and needs um, in the healthcare system. And one of the biggest ones is a need to have scientific validation behind some of the more unconventional approaches to healing neurological disorders like MS. Um, so I, I decided that I was going to start the Branch Out Neurological Foundation to literally branch out and fund an entire new field of study that focused on non-pharmaceutical approaches for neurological disorders. And by that time, you had at least resigned to yourself that you weren't going to compete anymore. And you just decided at that point, I proved my point, now I can move on. Is that what happened or was there something else? Yeah, I, I learned a really valuable lesson that I bring into my personal life and my professional life. And that was um, understanding what your values are and then basing your decision off of those personal values. So what I mean by that is I remember working with my sports psychologist and we just through our regular ex exercises of sports psychology, one of the exercises was determining what are your personal values. So I, I actually spent quite a bit of time really taking it seriously. What are my personal values? Because that ultimately is what drives you. And the, the point of this exercise was how do I motivate myself and, and believe in what I do? And that was first this purpose of sports performance. But um, I was now faced with the decision of, okay, I just missed the team by a few spots in 2010. Do I go another four years? Um, because I also am developing this new dream of starting the Branch Out Foundation, but I know that both dreams are too big. The Olympic dream is big, and starting your own charity and changing the face of neuroscience is also too big um, to be doing both at the same time. So I wanted to make the choice of do I continuing or not continuing in sport. And so I had the conversation with my, my sports psych, and he said, 
Well, um, why don't you write a couple of lists, one that explains all the reasons why you stay in sport and one that explains all the reasons why you would leave and start branch out instead. And so I came back the next day and I was really proud to show him that the, the two lists were almost dead even. And I say proud because I wanted to prove a point that, see, this is a hard decision. It's not easy. I have the equal number on both sides. And then he kind of smirked and said, okay, here's the values that we worked on, uh, your personal values. I want to take, take this list back home and I want you to cross out anything that doesn't have to do with your values. And I come back the next day and my mind was set. I was going to quit speed skating and I was going to um, build the Branch Out Neurological Foundation. And the reason why is because on the list that says um, stay in sport, there were things like I wanted to be the first person with MS to make the Olympics. And, and inconveniently for me at the time, <laughs> one of my values is, is egoless. And that's a very ego-driven statement. And so if I was true to my personal values, um, I had to cross that one off the list. And, and so it goes on and on. And ultimately, there were way more reasons why I should start the Branch Out Foundation than stay in skating another four years. And so that's how I made the decision to, to build Branch Out. But um, now I was faced with a whole new set of challenges, which is um, my background is skating in circles for 20 years, and I want to start a charity that funds research in neuroscience. And I don't know anything about neuroscience, so I learned that valuable lesson of playing your strengths and, um, and then outsourcing the rest. So my strengths um, were uh, I used to organize teams um, for bike rides, just for training purposes. I really liked biking. And I also was known to throw one of the best year-end parties in speed skating. You can ask any Winter Olympic athlete around my era. Um, and I figured, okay, well, why don't I throw a really good bike tour with a kick-ass party at the end? And that's what I did. And that's how we, we got started um, with the Branch Out Foundation was the Branch Out Bike Tour. And when it came to neuroscience, medical practice, all of that, I started to just network and find experts. What you were doing was going counter to the establishment. Um, I mean, the whole message, the whole mantra behind Branch Out is, is to fund alternative brain research. Um, yeah. What did the estab how, how were you greeted by the establishment? I'm really happy that I got to check, check that same assumption that I was doing something that was anti-establishment. But the truth is, is as long as we were, we had scientific validation and rigor, um, we were op we were welcomed with open arms. Um, the scientific academic processes they they want to protect good quality science, and unfortunately, there isn't a sustainable funding model to support some of the non pharmaceutical approaches. So it wasn't that people were anti you know natural approaches to healing neurological disorders at all. People had lots of great ideas and wanted to pursue those ideas. They just didn't have the funding, and there was no sustainable funding mechanism for it. So when we put a scientifically rigorous process in place to fund high-quality non-pharmaceutical neuroscience and technologies, um, the application number kept increasing every year, and people were, you know, there was no doubt in their mind that we were a credible um, and valuable charity that was going to help in neurological disorders. What did that first bike uh, fundraiser earn? It, yeah, it raised about 60000 
Yeah. No kidding. And so in 2020, we're on track to raising over $2 million through the bike tour alone over the last nine years. Just the bike tour. Mm-hmm. What about all the other fundraising projects at Branch Out? Yeah, we're over $3 million now. And so we had a snowshoe tour for a few years. Um, most recently, last year was the inaugural event for Your Brain on Art. Um, we've also have, had events called Neuron Night where we... Um, we actually showcase the research that we've been funding and we challenge all of our grant recipients to speak in a language and um, using charisma to help communicate their research to the general population. How do you feel your knowledge of, um, of brain research has changed since before your first episode? Yeah, that's a, I mean, it's a great question. I'm still no neuroscientist. Um, I, there are a few neuroscientists who flatter me and say, you should get an honorary degree in neuroscience because I, I, I don't think I give myself enough credit for how much I have learned about the system and about neuroscience and mechanisms of the body. And I think tra- working to become a nutrition consultant, you learn a lot from that too. Um, so, yeah, I, I would never call myself a neuroscientist or even close because they are just so darn smart. Um, I'm really proud to be a facilitator of the smart people. <laughs> um, but it's nice to be able to have, you know, base knowledge um, so that I can at least have a conversation with all the right people who are in academia and science and neuroscience so that the, the conversation can be really productive. But if you have base knowledge, that leaves the rest of us with something below base knowledge. Is that one of your biggest challenges, is ignorance and lack of awareness? I think um, not being a neuroscientist is actually less a challenge and more a strength because in neuroscience, they're trying to solve problems with typically one type of person who's been studying in one type of way for so many years. Um, To have someone who has no blinders on when it comes to how the academic system works um, and how neuroscience works I get to go go in there with um, and I get to I guess take down any kind of barriers Um, I don't have um, preconceptions of how things should work I'm just really open and curious and wide-eyed to the possibilities and I think by having that angle naturally just because I'm not an academic um, it's actually given me insight into some areas that um, could could be enhanced and could show a lot of progress if we focused in them and you probably have some examples of that some some ideas that might have been jump-started by that that mindset you have that have actually come to full fruition, have been funded and are now underway. Yeah, well, the best way for me to describe it is is a framework that I co-created a few years ago because we were, I was, I remember it was three years ago and I got Top 40 Under 40 by Avenue Calgary Magazine and it was great and I read the article and it was very flattering and it and it, you know, a lot of my success was related to some numbers. So X amount of researchers funded, X amount of million dollars raised. And I had to ask myself, well, am I actually making impact, real impact? Because the Branshaw Foundation has a vision of a world free from neurological disorders. And so are these numbers that I'm getting um, recognized for, are they actually moving the needle towards a world free from neurological disorders? And so I started to think, Um, where our impact is as an organization. And that's when 
I realized that there are many steps to go from ideation stage. Um, you go through the research lab of basic clinical trials, and then you actually have to get that research out of the lab. And that's um, one area where we call it the valley of death because we'll, we'll, it's kind of publish or perish mentality where you create a publication out of your research. But then if you don't have anyone to take the baton to bring it to the finish line of making real community impact with it, then it actually just dies in the lab. And yeah, it feeds more um, information and that information gets shared and stuff. But I think statistically it's it's... Um, it's pretty pretty sad to see how much doesn't get to uh, get outside of the lab and, and get funded or commercialized or actually put into um, a, a therapeutic value. So I built a, a model called the eye to eye framework, idea to impact, and we looked at okay, what are all the steps it takes to get from idea to impact? And I think it's a pretty normal process that most people wouldn't be surprised with, and it's not that innovative, but it's simple and it's understandable and it's relatable, and it's been tested against both the academic and public communities and so um, that's one great thing but the real value and I think this is uh, this comes from having a very unique perspective and a non-academic perspective perhaps is I brought a group of what I call unlike-minded experts from different industries and I put them in a room and had it professionally facilitated by um, very generous volunteers who helped me develop the eye-to-eye framework and we would ask, you know, the CEO of ATB Financial, who's working with a neuroscientist, who's working with a, a doctor, and who's working with an artist, we're talking people from completely different industries, they were looking at the eye-to-eye framework as it relates to the healthcare industry and neuroscience specifically, and we would ask them, okay, what are all the barriers? Why does it take 20 plus years and billions of dollars to move things from idea to impact? And so from their completely different backgrounds, they came up with scrolls and scrolls and scrolls of barriers together. And when I spent hours and hours um, with my coworker, Megan, we took those scrolls of ideas and barriers and we categorized them into major themes. We took those major themes and we mapped them against the eye to eye framework because we wanted to ask, okay, at what stage from eye to eye are things getting stuck and therefore slowing down the process? And what we realized is that None of these major themes fit in any one of the steps it took to get from idea to impact. They, they, they fit in the space between. And what I mean by that is there were things like culture, communication, creativity, lots of C words, and, and collaboration. Um, these are things that are often overlooked or taken for granted for. There are things that um, might take a little bit more patience and trust to be able to pursue. Um, and they're things that are just lacking in both the academic system, but also between academia and the business community and the public. So Rancho Foundation started to pivot, um, not pivot, but expand their focus from funding um, basic and translational research in, in non-pharmaceutical neuroscience, but also look at what is in the space between. So what are some areas that we could we could focus in to help improve collaboration, um, more of an entrepreneurial uh, mindset, um, expand create creative thinking and ideation? Um, and that's when we started to see um, really cool results come out of it. And um, it's also when we realized, okay, well, in order to take all this great research that we're funding outside of the lab and start funding, um, you know, new companies with it and stuff, we're talking about, 
you know, millions and millions more dollars in order to be able to get ideas to impact. And so um, we took a lot of pressure on ourselves to be able to fulfill all of the steps plus all the space between it um, eye to eye. But then we realized, well, you know, what other players, you know, are, are sharing this same vision? And could we, rather than try to be the heroes and play God and do everything ourselves, why don't we find partners um, to be able to do this? And so my analogy now is um, build a relay team um, rather to, than trying to be the champion yourselves. And so the Branch Out Foundation has really evolved from um, focusing on funding high quality neurochem, non-pharmaceutical neuroscience research, um, including working on space between programming, but then also looking at whether what other companies are available or organizations to be able to help bring these research ideas um, outside of the lab to make real community impact with. How many people did you have by your side going through all this? I mean, I'm I'm a bit dizzy myself thinking about all of this these applications coming in for research. You and you said that you shared this um, this rework of a, of a process to come up with the space between, um, and then mapping it all out, ultimately coming up with sort of a revised version, and then putting new applications through this new meat grinder. I mean, it sounds like an army of hundreds would have been required to do this. Yeah, well, I mean... Some may say it's just a handful of people, but I always say it actually is an army of people. Um, it's amazing how many people gave up their after their Sunday afternoon for some of my mom's crockpot chili um, so that we could actually come up with um, some solutions. And so I was always gathering groups of unlike-minded people um, to help me with my job. Um, and so... If you added all of those meetings, um, um, phone calls, um, events, um, even some of the fundraising events and all the participants and volunteers that are involved, it absolutely is an army of hundreds and hundreds of people. I got to ask this, um, even though it goes against your egoless value, and you might find it awkward, but what is it about you that make people want to help? as you say, tirelessly for all of these things? I I hope it's because I come across genuine. I think people really understand because I've gone through um, having a neurological disorders that I'm, I'm doing this for the right reasons. Like my heart is in the right place and I truly don't want other people to have to go through this. And I also want to cure for myself. Um, so... Yeah, I think people just believe that um, I was able to find the translatable skills from being an elite athlete and apply them into this new venture of the Branchup Foundation and now my new job with the NAIR uh, Labs. Um, I think people have put a lot of value, and, and as they should, uh, on, on, on having an elite athlete um, with a goal um, actually reach it. We're, we're pretty relentless creatures. <laughs> Let's talk about one or two of the branched out projects that you were most proud of. This one's always hard because it's like picking your favorite children. Um, <laughs> one, one that's um, 
we've we've funded so that this is one of the biggest questions is what exactly is neurochem which stands for neuroscience and complementary and alternative modalities it's our complicated way of saying our non-pharmaceutical research that we fund and so we have funded over 81 research projects i am super excited about all of them um, but a few that come to mind are looking at the ketogenic diet's effect on reducing inflammation in the brain which would have effect on epilepsy on glioblastoma tumors ms other neurological conditions that have inflammation in the brain um, we also look at tms which is short for transcranial magnetic brain stimulation which is a new technology that is a non-invasive um, brain stimulation so that if you have children who have major depressive disorder, the drugs aren't working, and you really don't have any other options. And we're talking kids who are in their young teenage phase who are actually suicidal. They're at that phase of depression with no drug options. And this TMS project is looking at can we take the area of the brain, which is kind of to the front left side of your brain, um, and increase the activity that's literally inactive or depressed, causing major depressive disorders? And if we increase the level of, um, of activity using non-invasive brain stimulation technology with magnets, could we reduce um, the effects of depression? And when Dr. Frank McMaster first applied for this research funding six years ago, he applied everywhere and he kept getting rejected and rejected. Um, and then he found out about the Branch Out Foundation, applied for a grant. It passed through our, our rigorous scientific review um, panel process. Um, it got the check mark for good quality science. We started funding it. It kept getting more and more success. We kept funding it, but then they were able to leverage their success in our funding to be able to apply for bigger um, grants so that they've been able to go all the way from just an idea to now showing that in six weeks they've had children go through their clinical trial and in six weeks they've gone from suicidal to functioning after six weeks. And so now FDA has approved this as a therapy for treatment-resistant major depressive disorder. And Dr. Frank McMaster is, you know, one of the heroes of our story, and and it's a, a great situation because because I think we're both calling each other, excuse me, we're both calling each other the heroes of our stories because we were kind of the early seed funders because we believed in their their science despite it being a very new novel technology that was maybe a bit more risky because it was so different. Um, but we're looking at him and his, and his team as the, as the heroes because, I mean, they developed or helped um, prove um, that this, this non-invasive brain technology works better than most pharmaceutical drugs for kids with major depressive disorder. This is, could be revolutionary. And so I, I spoke to the Rotary Club last year about this and I asked them for $100,000 to buy a new TMS machine so that we could open up a clinic, the first adolescent TMS clinic in the world in Calgary. And they gave me a standing ovation and $100,000. Um, so in 2020, we'll be purchasing uh, a TMS machine specifically for um, adolescents to be treated, um, but then also to use the machine for to further the research because it's also showing effects in, um, just like it increases the level of activity for decreased areas of depression, it can actually reduce the level of activity in increased areas of, of um, activity for kids with Tourette syndrome. 
um, and it's showing a potential in all sorts of different neurological disorders. So this is just the, the beginning of, of many areas where we can have high impact. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And people listening may hear this and know somebody who could benefit. When and where could someone obtain details on TMS? Yeah, I mean, it's it's starting to become one of those trendy areas and hot topics in neuroscience. So you can definitely um, get online and start looking at the technology. But Dr. Frank McMaster, Google his name. He's part of the Alberta Children's Hospital and University of Calgary. Um, on our website, branchoutfoundation.com, under the research tab, it showcases all of the research we funded, including the TMS work. Um, there's a TMS clinics for adults now in Alberta, um, partially thanks to Dr. Frank McMaster and his work. Um, he's one of those um, unicorn scientists who's not only motivated to publish papers, but he'll actually sacrifice publishing more papers and climbing the, the academic hierarchy so that he could actually focus more on helping build um, and, and set up TMS clinics for adults and now for adolescents. Um, in Alberta. Have you met any beneficiaries of your work face-to-face? You know what? Let me rephrase that. Um, You you can still answer it, but also when I think back to you as this teenager going back to Quadzilla Mm -hmm. um, who had everything ripped away but refused to believe it was gone, healed yourself through your own means and your own research and your own resilience um, and and found a way to be now symptom-free for for nine plus years. Have you personally been able to coach anyone through a similar stage in their life? Yeah, it's one of the privileges I have in my situation. When people hear about my story, I realize, especially having going through the system myself, that I'm one of the only voices of hope for a lot of people. If you go through the conventional system, and, and you know, for better or for worse, I don't know, but you kind of get the doom and gloom story and it's, it's you know, you have this disease, this is your potential future, um, it's this drug or that drug is a choice and you leave feeling kind of hopeless. And unless you're as privileged as I have been with, you know, a community of, you know, speed skating to, to keep encouraging me, you know, a family that is very positive in their mindset and, you know, we're always very helpful and, and supportive. Um, people may have that, but it's, it's, there's never, uh, there, you can never have too many, um, voices of hope. And sometimes when you're the only voice of hope, it's, it's absolutely essential, um, to have in order to keep going with, um, dealing with your disease. So it's, it's, yeah, it's one of my, my favorite parts of my role is, is, you know, although I have this cut and paste email that I can send, I like to be able to personalize it and and the email that you get back saying, wow, this is really helpful. Thank you so much. Um, the fact that someone cares just means the world. And, and it's nice to hear those words, but having gone through it, I know how much meaning is, is behind that and how truly helpful it is to have that. Can people feel the same way without having gone through it? Can people still feel that level of empathy? Yeah, one of my um, my practices for um, sports from that I got from my sports psychologist was um, I I said that one of my emotions that was the hardest to deal with was I felt lonely 
and I felt scared and I felt like I was the only one and kind of the why me victim approach and my sports psychologist said well what if do you think other people know what all of those emotions feel like and the answer was well yeah obviously everyone knows what loneliness and this and and basically he was breaking it down to the simple emotions as opposed to my situation and so I was looking at my situation and thinking no one else could possibly understand so the lesson was well if everyone else understands what loneliness and fear and sadness is then don't you think that everyone could relate to you so it's all that sort of law of relativity um, stuff but also um, you just realize that, yeah, you have this unique set of emotions in this particular time and and space, but everyone knows what all of those emotions are. We all go through it. That's just life. And by thinking that way, it's just, it took the loneliness um, down quite a few notches. Let's talk about this, um, this next transition in your life and um, not just where you're going, but, but how in the world you can separate yourself from this, child that yeah. you've raised yeah you know it's it's funny i use i use that analogy branch out foundation is this this child that i've raised and i got it past hopefully i've got it past through the awkward teenage phase and now i feel like it's time to send it to university and you know i my ideas will start running in circles as the leader of the organization and you know every parent who's you know had their kid go off to university knows that it's best for the kid to you know go get some experiences of its own and get ideas from different people and make mistakes on its own and um, you have to just kind of let them do it and and it's really in the end it's for their own growth um, and sustainability in this world. And so that's sort of how I feel about Branch Out. And this new opportunity with Thin Air Labs is really a continuation of my same mission of let's get people into, um, back to healthy and let's find solutions to neurological disorders and other health conditions. And let's look at um, all both conventional and unconventional approaches to healing the body. And so Back when I was talking about the eye-to-eye model, you go from ideation stage to basic science to translational research, but then you have to get that stuff out of the lab and build either companies or new therapies with it and integrate it into the system and have compliance, and and then you have real impact with people affected. And this new job is essentially just that. It's looking at, you know, we have a lot of strengths in this city. We have some of the top we do have the world top stroke doctors in the entire planet. Um, it is better to get a stroke in Calgary and go to the Foothills Hospital than anywhere on earth. That's something that we should be really proud of, but it's also a strength that we should make sure we're leveraging and building new innovation from. And so looking at all of those strengths in this city, um, there are so many to, more to, to talk about, but essentially it developed this new vision for Thin Air Labs to develop a fund called Thin Air Health, where we invest in companies and we also invest in the environment that it takes to make those companies successful um, in the area of health. Um, so it's exciting to me because my vision just grew and, and normally you meet people and it's easier to take someone's vision and look at all the barriers that it's going to take because visions are, I mean, they should sound unrealistic, but, uh, and you should sound crazy, but um, rarely do you find those, those leaders who take your vision and they say, but what about, and they actually draw a bigger vision 
And then Thinair is like, well, what about a, a bigger vision where we actually funded more research or some more of these research projects and got them all the way to community impact? We funded them to create um, companies out of them and also to create an environment in Calgary where people can um, be healthier and these companies can be successful and we can re regenerate our economy to be focused in the healthcare sector too. Um, and we want you to be the leader of that, of Thin Air Health. And so the way I saw it was a bigger vision with a bigger platform and more resources to be able to exercise that. So um, I've always thought that one of my most powerful tools as a non-neuroscientist is, is my voice and my ability to um, tell the story and, and paint that beautiful vision of what could be um, and not worry so much of what is and what has been, but really do focus on what could be and, and work towards that vision. It feels like going back to your relay analogy, you know, you're going to be on that, um, what is the final person of a relay team called? It's not Anchor, is it? Is it <laughs> sure, Anchor? Sure, you can call it Anchor. I'm not sure. Who picks up and, and does the sprint to the end. It almost feels like that's that's where thin air picks up, where organizations like Branch Out begin, mm -hmm. um, where you can take it to the finish line with, with greater ease, presumably, with less barrier, with, with more capital, with more network, with more access. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. So we're sort of the the last stretch of of the relay race, um, knowing that it's not the easiest. They're all equally um, challenging, um, and to know that it's not two organizations. Sometimes it's going to take twenty organizations on that, you know, tw twenty teammates on the relay team. Um, but really identifying and and also giving credit and and valuing all of those those team members equally. Um, and and building from everybody's strengths. How did you come together, you and um, Thinair? Thinair. Um, I had actually met all three partners, Greg, Jim, and James, separately through the Rainforest Alberta movement. And, um, and then I heard Jim speaking at InVentures, and he was speaking about health. And I've never heard him talk about health before, so I, I sort of cornered him and I said, hey, everything you're talking about health, like, this is what I'm thinking and we're, we seem really aligned. Let's grab a coffee. And so I call this the dangerous coffee meeting. And we went for coffee and, of course, we were super aligned. We had a very similar vision of what we thought Calgary could be in the healthcare sector. And one meeting led to the next. And I think by the third meeting, we were just like, we have to work together and we need to team up and make this vision a reality. Um, and so they offered me the position to lead Thin Air Health. Um, it was one day before I went on my dream vacation of going to Africa, and I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll think about it, which was really in the back of my mind, I'll pretend to think about it. And basically, as I was landing, I'm, I said yes um, to the position, and I, I really see it as the best thing for both myself, for Calgary, but also for Branch Out. Um, I think it's, um, it's going to be access to a bigger... Um, community. It's about leveraging each other's skills, and and then also just expanding my own skill set. Crystal, thank you so much. Thank you for your time and for your work in this community. What you've done and um, what you are going to do. Thank you for all those things and congratulations. Thank you so much. I also can't wait. I'm excited for the future. Crystal Phillips, Director of Thin Air Health and founder of Branch Out Neurological Foundation. Crystal spoke of many Branch Out wins in this interview. 
You can find out all about them at branchoutfoundation.com. She also spoke of her new role at Calgary's Thin Air Labs, and they can be found at thinairlabs.ca. You can also register for this year's Branch Out Bike Tour at branchoutfoundation.com. It's still one of their biggest fundraisers. Thanks for making us your background noise. It means a lot. <laughs>